Well, good morning. Welcome to Stones Crossing Church, Antarctica today. So it kind of feels like it out there, doesn't it? Can I get an amen to that? If you have a Bible, you want to follow along, we're going to start in Psalm 100 today, and then we're going to, we're going to move over to, to, to the 23rd Psalm. And the reason why we are doing that is because we are starting a new series of messages that I'm calling Living in the Overflow. And throughout this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going, to be, we're going to be looking at the 23rd Psalm, but we're going to begin with Psalm 100 today. Now, the 23rd Psalm is, is probably one of the most well-known and, and loved passages in all of Scripture. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is that? Why is it so well-known? Why do so many people love uh, this, this passage of Scripture? And I think the reason why is because it gives us such a, a beautiful picture, a poetic picture a, a theological picture, if you will, of the goodness of God. That's, that's really the driver uh, of Psalm, 20, Psalm 23. And so it's all about the goodness of God. And probably when you were growing up, you, you heard this prayer uh, that your parents taught you to pray. Uh, God, is, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. You know, by his hands we are fed, you know. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. So, so we've learned that growing up, right? Or maybe you've been, you've been to our church and you've heard me say, God is good. And, you, and the congregation responds all the time. Or I say all the time and the congregation responds, yeah. So, so you've heard that before. And, and, um, and so that's really what we're going to be talking about. So the question that I want to throw out to you today, is God really good? Is he really good? We pray it in our prayers, we, we say it in church, we, we read scripture that says it, but is God really good? Is God really good when you're in pain? Is God really good when you're stressed out and just anxious? You're about to have a panic attack. Is God really good when your spouse leaves you for someone else? Is God really good when you lose your job? Is, is God really good when the doctor walks in and says, we've, we've looked at the test results and it's cancer? Is God really good all the time or is it just some of the time? You know, I think a lot of us uh, have wrestled with that question. And I think if we think about over the last year, what we have been through, probably for a lot of us, this has been the hardest you know, year, 12 months in our lives. Uh, I, what I know as a pastor is many of you are struggling. Many of you are struggling because of just what's going on around us. And as I've mentioned to you in the past, we're seeing unprecedented change in our culture. Moral change, political change, technological change, uh, cultural change. So much change. It's moving so fast we don't even realize it. Uh, we've been through one of the most contentious elections in U.S. history. We've gotten through that. Uh, we've seen cities in the United States literally on fire burning down. Uh, we've seen the capital under siege. Not only that, but we're navigating life in a pandemic. Oh yeah, we can't forget about the pandemic, right? It's been challenging. Uh, we've seen instances where, you know, government has kind of overstepped its bounds, uh, overstepped its authority, kind of abused its authority. We've, we've seen that. Um, and not only that, but we're right in the middle of winter in, in Indiana, which is a challenge for many of us. It really is. But probably the biggest thing is this, the, the Colts at this point don't have a quarterback. That's really, um, 
But I think the question really does still remain, is God good? Is God really good in the midst of all of that? I mean, how do you reconcile the two? Is he good some of the time? Is he good all the time? Which one is it? See, the truth is, I think many of you are struggling to answer that question. If you were honest today, you would say, you know, for me, the jury is still out on that one. I'm not quite sure because of where you are and where, what you've been through. So what we want to do in this series is we want to talk about the goodness of God. That's what we want to focus on. And I want to begin uh, by reading Psalm 100 to you because I think this is a great launching point for us. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if you are willing and able, would you please stand uh, for the reading of God's word? And I'm going to ask uh, all of you, if you will read this out loud with me, I know we've got our mask on, so just, just project out. But this is, this is worthy uh, of us to read together out loud. So you guys ready? It uh, should be on the screen behind me, hopefully. So here we go. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Now, what I want you to notice is that verse 5 there where the psalmist really, the, the point of Psalm 100 is really, really to say this, that the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so when you ask the question, really, what is the goodness of God? That's the definition uh, right there in, in, in verse 5, that it's his steadfast love towards us. It is his faithfulness Throughout all generations, that's how you would define the goodness of God. In fact, you would say that you could say that the, the goodness of God is really the summary of all of the attributes of God. Because all of the attributes really flow out of that. So, so what we're going to do is we're going we're to unpack what the goodness of God really means practically in our daily lives and, and how to live that out. And we're going to be spending anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks really focusing on the 23rd Psalm because the 23rd Psalm really unpacks it like, like no other passage in Scripture does. And so, and so one of the things I want to just kind of share with you related to this is we're going to do it a little bit different this time. So instead of me preaching 12 straight weeks right out of Psalm 23rd, 23, what I want to do is I want to spread it out throughout the year. So we're going to take we're going to take three weeks here in, in February, and we're going to look at Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to come back in June, and we're going to pick up right where we left off. And then we're going to come back in the fall, and then we're going to come back uh, in, you know, in the wintertime. Because here's the thing that I, I want for you as your pastor, is I want to keep in front of you the goodness of God, no matter what 2021 brings to us. You guys tracking with me on this? And so, and so what we need to do is come to that place of really remembering the goodness of God. And so the question becomes, well, why in the world would you spend 10 to 12 weeks focused on a 23rd Psalm and the goodness of God? I think the answer is this, because when you and I forget the goodness of God, it causes all kinds of problems in our walk with God. So in other words, the place where the enemy attacks us more than any other place 
is in the area of the goodness of God. Because if he can get you to doubt God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's steadfast love to you, he can move you anywhere he wants to. Once you've conceded that ground, once you've, you've questioned his goodness, once you've expressed doubt in the reality of who he is, his, his goodness towards you, he can, just, he can just do whatever he wants to do with you. And so what I want to do is keep his goodness in front of you. Jesus said that I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And so really what living in the overflow is, is it's living in the goodness of God. It is living in the abundant life that God offers to us. And so living in the overflow is understanding with your mind that God is good. And then trusting in your heart that God is good. And then walking day to day with your life in the goodness of God. See, David said it like this. He said, my cup overflows. And then he talks about in the next, next line, he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the reality that I know, I know the goodness of God and I am walking in that goodness every single day. And that's what I want for you. To know regardless of what happens in your life, regardless of what, the, what 2021 holds for us, I want you rock solid in the goodness of God. You know, John Piper's an author and pastor, and uh, one of his books, he shares, he shares the story of uh, the founder of an orphanage, George Mueller. He's from London, England, and he founded an orphanage uh, in the 1800s uh, in England. And um, George Mueller's wife, Mary, died of rheumatic fever. And they had been married 39 years and God had given him strength and grace to, to preach her funeral and to do her funeral sermon. And the text that he chose for her funeral was Psalm 119.68 where the psalmist says, uh, you are good and you do good. Speaking about God, you are good and you do good. And his three points were this, were these. He said, the Lord was good and did good in giving her to me. That's point one. Point two, the Lord was good and did good in so long leaving her to me. And point three, the Lord was good and did good in taking her from me. Right under his third point, he recounts how he prayed for her. And uh, during her illness, and this is, this is one of his prayers he said, yes, my father, the times of my darling wife are in thy hands. That will do the very best thing for her and for me, whether life or death. If it may be, raise her up yet again, my precious wife. Thou art able to do it, though she is so ill. But howsoever thou dealest with me, only help me to continue to be perfectly satisfied. In thy holy will. Now, you see, Mueller was focused on the goodness of God, wasn't he? He was, he was dialed in. That was rock solid in his life. And so I want to just begin by talking to, you, talking to you about what happens when you and I lose focus on the goodness of God. What happens when we forget the goodness of God? I think there are three consequences of losing 
that focus on the goodness of God. Three negative consequences. You see, number one, when I forget the goodness of God, I become ungrateful. I, I become ungrateful. When I forget God's goodness in my life, instead of praising God and thanking God for what he has done for me, I start taking credit for all that God has done for me and through me and to me and by me and in me and with me. I start taking credit for it. And so once I stop thanking God for how he has blessed me, I immediately begin thinking that I'm the source of all of my blessings in my life. I immediately begin thinking that it's all about me. In fact, Jesus talks about this. He talks about the danger of this in Luke's gospel chapter 12, where he tells the story of a very wealthy man, very, very rich man. I mean, he's a billionaire. He's got his life all together and he's looking out. He's surveying all of his, all of his wealth and he's just blown away at all that he has done. He is, he's like, look at all I've accomplished. Look at all the wealth that I've amassed. What in the world am I going to do with all this money? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger barns to store it all in. You see, he wasn't giving credit to God. He wasn't thanking God. He wasn't acknowledging God for his success and blessing. He was basically taking credit for himself. And so Jesus says that God said to him, today your very life will end and I'm taking everything you have amassed and giving it to someone else. Now that is a very sober warning, no doubt. But what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about the reality of, a, of a, just a prideful ingratitude. Where we just refuse to acknowledge who God is and what he has done for us. Let me show you, let me show you a New Testament passage in regard to this. This is in Acts chapter 12. And it's, it's at verse 21. Let me just show you this. Notice how Luke describes this. This is, this is just incredible. He says, on an appointed day, he's talking about King Herod. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and he delivered an oration to them. In other words, he stood up in front of the big crowd and he gave this, he gave this huge speech. And, uh, and the people were shouting, the voice of God, the voice of a God and not of a man. So apparently the speech was really good because they're saying he's a God. Now notice, notice what, what happened next. Verse 23, immediately, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now that is a sober warning right there. Now, what, what, what's he talking about? What, what happened here is Herod, Herod is taking credit for, for all the power and the wealth and the, the majesty that he has, the position that he has in his life. And so God didn't take his life because he was immoral. God didn't take his life because he was greedy. God didn't take his life because he lied to people. God took his life because he didn't give glory to God. And so it's a very sober warning for you and for me. Now, people will push back as we kind of think about this. When I lose sight of the goodness of God, you know, I, I become, you know, ungrateful. But people will push back and say, well, Scott, I built my business with my own bare hands from the ground up. Well, here's my question. Who gave you your hands? 
Well, you know, all those degrees that I earned and how hard I worked. I mean, I've got like three of them hanging on the wall. I mean, you know, that was what I did. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, who gave you the mind to be able to do that? Well, I don't care. You know, I work my way up all the way, you know, all the way from the bottom to the top with my blood, sweat and tears. I think the question is, who gave you the blood, sweat and tears? You see, the truth is this, church, everything that you have, everything that I have, we've been, God has given us that. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we have, we owe to God. We couldn't take our next breath if it weren't for God. We wouldn't be sitting in these chairs today if it weren't for God or the goodness of God. And so the ability to see, the ability to hear, the ability to eat, the ability to, to touch and, the, and to to know things. All of these things are God-given abilities for you and for me. And so God says, I just want you to be grateful. I want you to remember my goodness in your life. And so when we forget the goodness of God, we become proudly ungrateful. That's, that's usually what happens. Now, What's fascinating is this. Do you know that the Bible says that one of the characteristics of the last days, one of the signs of the last days is ungratefulness. Let me show it to you. 2 Timothy 3, 2. And, and, and Paul's writing to the young pastor here. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And then I think, Why? Why are there going to be times of difficulty? Well, because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. And notice that last one, ungrateful. Does that sound familiar today? Does this sound like anything you've seen before? Certainly. And so James tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So what is it that you have that you haven't received from God? Literally nothing. Not one thing. So when I forget the goodness of God, I become ungrateful. Number two, when I forget the goodness of God, I stop praying. I stop praying. So instead of asking God for help, Instead of focusing on God's power to provide and God's goodness to hear and to help us, I start thinking, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And I stop praying. And I, I start calling out to God because I start thinking to myself, I can do it in my strength, in my wisdom, in my power, you know, in my experience, in my giftedness. I don't really need God. I can do it myself. And so what happens is because I've forgotten, because I've distanced myself from the reality of the goodness of God, I start thinking everything's kind of landing on me. And so I'm not praying anymore. Now, one of the things that I know that happens when I stop praying is I become exhausted. I absolutely become exhausted. You know, when you, when you don't pray anymore, you know what happens? You just start working off fumes in your relationship with God and trying to live life. And perhaps that may be the reason why many of you are so worn out right now through your circumstances and the trials and difficulties in your life. Because you're not praying about it. You're not praying about it. And so the circumstances that you're facing, the trials, the adversities, the challenges that you're facing in your life. Church, listen to me. They're too big for you to handle. And you are not created to handle them on your own. And so really what they are, trials and adversities and problems 
in our life are really graces from God to bring us to the truth of how much we need him. That he, that he uses them to bring us to himself because he would rather us go through trials and have him than coast really easy and not have him. You guys tracking with me on that? And so really trials and difficult circumstances are a gift. They're a grace to us because they keep us on our knees praying. Because so many times when I forget the goodness of God, I stop praying. I love Charles Spurgeon on this. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave. What wave do you need to kiss right now? You see, long after the wave is gone, you'll still have the rock of ages. And that's the point. And so I just want to challenge you to lean on the rock by calling out to him for help, whatever it is that you are managing right now. The other thing that happens when we stop praying is we not only just get exhausted, but when we stop praying, we don't get our needs met. James says it like this, you have not because you ask not. You're going without because you're not calling on God who's all around you. And so, so really living in the overflow means learning how to trust in the goodness of God, learning how to come to that place of always crying out to God. Whatever it is that you're going through. Because, because you see, when you think about how our faith grows and how our trust in God grows, God grows it through, through working us and sending to us trials that cause us to depend upon him. You know, a great illustration of this, I've often, I've often heard it called uh, the circle of security. It's, it's kind of like, you remember... When you're a kid, you know, when, when children are growing up, what, when they need something, what do kids do? What, what do babies do when they need something? They just cry out. They know they're hungry, and all they do is cry. And what do mom and dad do? They show up immediately, right, and take care of that need. And so that's probably happened to you. It's probably happened to me 10,000 times, you know, in the course of our growing up. And so what happens in the heart of a child is a child learns to trust, learns to trust his or her parent. And they know that, that if they have a need, all they have to do is call out and mom and dad are going to show up. Well, I think the cycle is the exact same way that God uses to teach us to trust in him. We have a need. We see a need in our life. What do we do? We need to call out to God and ask for help. And what God does is he answers that prayer. And then as a result of that answer, our faith grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And so God, as a loving parent, is teaching us and growing our capacity to trust in his goodness, to trust in his love. And so, listen, if you're not expressing your needs before God, then you're not growing in faith and in trust. Now, one caveat to this is that when you are praying about something, you need to know that God is not a vending machine. So he's not going to, you know, most of the time, he's not going to answer immediately. He's going to, he's going to, call you to wait on him which is okay because because you're trusting in that waiting season of your life you see if he gave you everything you asked for the moment you asked for it then we would we would be incredibly selfish and self-centered so so the challenge I think here is really to pray 
to pray and to focus on the goodness of God. And then here's the last one. When I stop focusing on the goodness of God, I stop trusting. I stop trusting God. That's what happens. I stop trusting him. And so, and so God allows these trials to grow us stronger in the faith as we focus in on his goodness. And then something happens, a storm comes. And then what do I do? Because I'm focused on the goodness of God, I am trusting in the goodness of God, then, then I, I, uh, I walk in faith regardless of what the problem is. Whether it's my job, or it's my kids, or it's my health, or my finances, whatever it is. Paul says it like this in Romans 5.3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so what he's saying here is this. We can rejoice in the difficulties. We can rejoice in the trials. Not because we love the problems and the trials, but because we know that God is using them for good in our life. We know that he is growing our endurance. We know that he's growing our character. We know that he's growing our hope. And so what we say is in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulty, we're saying, God, you're, you've got a purpose for this. You're going to use this for good. You, you're, you've got a reason for this. And that reason is always good. And I'm trusting that you will, you will bring it, you will bring that goodness to pass. It's, it's Romans 8.28. That's exactly what it is. He, Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Say it with me, for good, right? What is that? That is the goodness of God. He's saying all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Even, even things that are bad, this, this covers it, church. Even things that are hard, even things that are painful, God's going to use it for good. That's, that's the promise. That is an amazing, an amazing promise. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. Now, you know, I shared with you at the beginning that uh, the reason why I think this is the 23rd Psalm is the most loved passage in all of Scripture for so many people is because it, it paints this picture of the goodness of God. And so uh, what I want to do is just give you a little bit of an overview. I want to give you a little bit of a flavor for where we're going to be going in this series and how it expresses the goodness of God. Because here's the thing, church, if, if you know if you know God's goodness, if you understand it with your mind, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move your heart. And so let me give you nine different ways. Just turn over to, turn over to the 23rd Psalm. And I want to just walk you through these just briefly as we kind of close today. Nine different ways that God expresses his, his goodness to us. So, I'm, so let's just kind of walk through this. Look at verse 1. So David says this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, can I, have, can I make a confession here? For the longest time, I would look at that verse, and I, I don't know, my brain's kind of messed up, but I would always look at it and say, the Lord is his shepherd, and he doesn't want the Lord as a shepherd. That's kind of the way I would read that, you know. Uh, but that's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is this. He is saying that because of the goodness of God, God will provide all that I need. That's what he's saying. That's what he's talking about. Because God is good, 
Because he's my shepherd, he's going to provide all that I need in my life. And so practically what that means is this. It doesn't mean that God's going to provide all of your greeds, but he will provide all of your needs. Okay, So he will provide all that you need. So, so practically what this means is I don't have to live in worry. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live in anxiety. That's, that's what David's communicating is I, I'm really not anxious because God will provide all that I need. That's what he's talking about. What is it? that you're worried about right now. God says, I'm going to provide for you all that you need. So just trust me. Look at verse 2. This is another reason why we can trust the goodness of God. So, the, so David says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He, lead me, he leads me beside quiet waters. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about this. Because God is good, he gives me rest. He gives me rest. You know, the one thing I know, just talking to many of you, talking to people as we kind of came out of last year, people are exhausted. People are just absolutely exhausted. And what, what David is talking about here is that the shepherd gives me rest. And it's not just physical rest. What, he, what he's talking about is a spiritual rest. He's talking about a peace that transcends all understanding. He's talking about a, a holy tranquility. And, and I think it really comes from the fact that so many times in life we're working so hard to gain the acceptance of others or to gain the approval of others or the affirmation of others, the validation from others. We're, we're, so, we're so looking for that online and in our relationships. And, and, and I think David is alluding to my acceptance, my affirmation comes from my God. And if I have his approval, who else do I need approval from? Because I have it from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So he not only provides all that I need, but he, he gives me rest. Look at verse 3. He restores, he restores my soul. Now, I think, I think what that is alluding to, and we're going to be talking about this, but basically that he he renews my strength. He, he uh, as the me message paraphrase says, he allows me to catch my breath. That's what he does. He allows me to catch my breath. And um, in scripture, the breath of God is the Holy Spirit. And I think part of this re restoring of the soul, this renewing of the work of God in us is through the power of the Holy Spirit that is working to to sanctify us and to change us into his image. So he renews our strength. It's a life that's empowered by God. Look at the next one. So he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So because God is good, what he's talking about is this, that he's going to show me which way I need to go. He'll show me which way I need to go. You know, when I'm talking to a group of high school students or talking to a group of college students, I, I try to talk to them about just how important the life stage that they're currently in is. Because, you know, a high school student and a college student are making all of these decisions, you know, about where I'm going to go to college and what I'm going to major in and my career, my vocation, if I'm going to college, who, my, who is my friend group going to be? 
who am I going to, who am I going to date? Because, you know, you're going to probably marry somebody that you date. That's a, probably a really good idea, right? So, uh, so you need to be thinking about all of these decisions. These decisions are huge. And, and so David reminds us, he will show me which way to go. Because you're going to come to so many challenges and decisions, you need to know which way to go. In other words, we're, you know, God's going to guide you. He's going to guide you every which way um, that you need to be going. So that's, that's what he's talking about. And he's not going to do it for your namesake. He's going to be doing it for his namesake. Because you see, in your life story, you're not the central character. Jesus is the central character. Notice this next one. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So in other words, because God is good, he's going to walk with me in the valleys of life. Jesus says, you, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome, I have overcome the world. And so, and so the promise of God for us is that God will walk us through no matter what difficulty it is, he is going to walk us through all of that. Notice, notice the next half of that. He says, your rod, this is in the last half of verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So as I'm walking through the valley of the shadow, you know, the darkest valleys, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fear evil because I know God's with me. But, but I also know that, that the rod and staff of God are going to comfort me. And so the rod is, was a tool of authority. It expressed authority for the shepherd. And the staff was a tool that protects the sheep. And so what I have is I have, as I walk through the dark valleys, I have the authority of God on one hand and I have the protection of God on the other. In other words, the shepherd makes me secure in a very insecure world. That's what he's saying. Look at verse, verse six. Surely goodness no, you prepare a table, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So what is he talking about? He's talking about your life will be blessed. He's going to bless your life. I can trust the goodness of God because he's going to bless me even in front of my enemies. My enemies will see the blessing of God on my life. That's what he's talking about. And my cup will overflow. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What's he talking about there? He's really just talking about this, that the goodness of God are going to follow me no matter what happens in my life. That I'm going to get to the end of my life and I'm going to look back to, over my life and I'm going to say, God was good to me. His goodness and mercy followed me. And here's the last one. I love this one. At the end of verse six, he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so what he's saying there is because God is good, one day he's going to take me home to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? One day he's going to take me home. Now, that's just, I, I just kind of sprinted through that. That's just a little overview of the goodness of God. This is why you can trust the goodness of God. Because for every son and daughter of God, this is what God has given to you. Now, some of you ask, I'm going to close with this. Some of you push back and you say, well, Scott, you know, I have done so many bad things in my life. I have, I have sinned so long and so hard that I have, I have outpunted the goodness of God. The goodness of God doesn't reach to where I'm at. 
And I just want to tell you, you're wrong. You are wrong. Because the really, the key to understanding the 23rd Psalm, and I've already kind of alluded to this a little bit, the key to understanding the 23rd Psalm is found in the very first verse. It's the Lord that's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the way that you understand the goodness of God. The Lord is my shepherd. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Let me show you this in Hebrews 13, 20. The writer of Hebrews says, Now may the, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. That's who Jesus is. He's the great shepherd. Why is he the great shepherd? Because of the blood, his own blood of the eternal covenant. May that blood equip you with everything good. Do you see that? And so, and so that you can do his will working in us, which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And so my answer to you is this, that the good shepherd lay down his life for you and for me, regardless of what's in our past, regardless of how long we've sinned and how hard we've sinned. That, that's, that's irrelevant because the blood of the eternal covenant covers all of that sin. That is really, really good news. That is why Jesus, as we will see in this series, is the great shepherd of the sheep. So then how do you access the goodness of God? Maybe you're not a Christian. How do you access it? How, does, how, does, how do you open the door so that the goodness of God can flow into your life? Very simply, you just ask. You just ask. And specifically, the Bible says that in asking, we're repenting. We're saying, God, I, I was going this way, but I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to go towards you. I want to follow you. And I believe that you died for me in my place. And so repent and believe and ask and you will know the salvation of God. You will know the goodness of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the great shepherd of the sheep. And we just confess to you that as sheep, we've often, we're often fearful and anxious. We often doubt the care of our shepherd. And I just, I just thank you that you are the good shepherd and you pour goodness into our lives. And so Lord, I pray that you would, you would open our eyes to your goodness, even in the midst of hard circumstances, even in the midst of painful circumstances. So God, thank you that you really are good all the time. And so we just give you praise. We give you glory. We recognize that every good and perfect gift truly comes from you. That everything we have is a gift from you. So here are Hear our gratitude, God. And we confess that we, we just need your mercy and grace, God. We, we need wisdom to navigate the trials that, 
that this life brings. And we just know that one day we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we look forward to that. And so you are with us from start to finish. Your steadfast love endures throughout all generations. God, thank you for that. We just surrender ourselves to you afresh and anew today. I just want to give you an invitation. I'm going to give you a moment of silence just to respond however you want to. Just silently, just, just take a minute and thank God. Take a moment and ask God for help. Take a moment and just speak to the great shepherd. God, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your goodness. Give us eyes to see. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.